This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock. Welcome to a Wednesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Thanks for spending some time with us this morning. Uh, I know we weren't here yesterday, so uh, thanks for coming back. I <laughs> certainly do appreciate it. Uh, I had a basketball game last night, Shoreline Conference uh, quarterfinal game. Uh, Cromwell with a, a nice victory over a very tough Adam Killingworth team. Game was a lot tougher than I expected. They had blown them out earlier in the season, so a good comeback for Cromwell last night. Uh, and they will go on to play, uh, play Valley Regional on Thursday in the semifinals. The game will be at Cromwell. Cromwell, the number two seed. Valley Regional, the three seed. We will have that for you on Sports Country Radio at 6 o'clock on Thursday night. Really looking forward to that. Um, Cromwell has won five Shoreline Conference championships since 2009, looking for number six, although they're going to have their work cut out for him. Uh, Morgan out of Clinton is a perfect 13-0 and after winning their quarterfinal last night, uh, and they tuned up uh, Cromwell pretty, pretty, pretty well earlier in the season, so they'll have their work cut out. But anyway, tomorrow night, uh, 6 o'clock, Valley Regional and Cromwell here on Sports Country Radio. Um, all right, let's get to last night's women's basketball game, UConn and Syracuse. I didn't think this was going to be much of a game. At the end of the day, it turned out to be not much of a game. UConn won it by 36. But Syracuse was tough early. But I, I want to just say this. I have to give the UConn girls a lot of credit. That 2-3 zone that Syracuse threw at them last night gave them some trouble early in the game. And they had trouble early in the game defensively where they were continuing to let Syracuse dump the ball inside. They got a lot of easy layups uh, early in that game. Uh, their freshman, uh, uh, Camilla Cardoso, very, very good player. Well, she caught the ball wide open underneath the basket a couple of times on the UConn defense, and you know UConn got caught up on some switches, and um, they got some easy layups. So all of a sudden, it's an 8-8 eight to eight game, and I'm like, uh-oh. You know, I still didn't expect Syracuse was going to win, but it looked like it was going to be a lot more uncomfortable of a game than I expected it to be. Uh, when all was said and done, yeah, UConn ended up blowing them out. Uh, UConn led 41-26 at the half. They only allowed Syracuse to score nine points in the third quarter, so at the end of three, this one was over. Uh, Paige Beckers did her thing. She had 20 points, 16 of them in the first half. Aaliyah Edwards... Uh, got the start last night in place of Nika Mule. Nika Mule's ankle still wasn't good enough for her to go, so they gave Edwards the start. So uh, she responded in a big, big way, 19 points last night. Uh, she was a perfect 5 of 5 from the field. She went to the line 12 times, hit 9 of 12. Uh, she had five rebounds. Just a great performance. Olivia Nelson-Adota, 17 points, eight rebounds last night. 
you know, the only downside last night, I guess, for UConn, and I'm sure Gino Ariema, when he gets to San Antonio today, and he will be on his way, I'm sure he's probably already in the air on his way to Texas uh, as his uh, quarantine for a positive COVID-19 test is over, uh, is the offensive rebound. Syracuse was 17 offensive rebounds in that game last night. 17. Uh, so, you know, I'm sure he'll work on that a little bit, but by and large, uh, there is not a, much to pick at, at UConn last night, 55% from the field, uh, five of 15 from three. They were 24 of 30 from the free throw line, including a perfect nine for nine by Paige Beckers. Uh, Beckers, by the way, the, along with her 20 points, she had five rebounds, four assists, three steals, you know, typical night for Paige Beckers does a little bit of everything. And a matter of fact, with UConn in control, in the second half, she didn't even look for her shot anymore. She just was looking to pass the ball. Uh, there was one pass she had in the second half that was unbelievable. It was a no-look pass. She was outside the uh, like free-throw line extended, made a beautiful no-look pass with the left hand underneath the basket uh, to a wide-open player for an easy layup. And just She just does ridiculous things. And to think that uh, she's just a freshman uh, is amazing. Uh, but anyway, an easy victory for UConn last night, and they will go on to take on Iowa in the Sweet 16. This should be an interesting game in that uh, Iowa has its own fabulous freshman, uh, Caitlin Clark, everybody talking about her. 35 points last night, shot 13 of 21. She hit six threes, and uh, they went on to beat Kentucky 86-72. to and uh, so Iowa, which is a five seed, will take on the top seeded Huskies. Iowa is twenty and nine on the season, uh, and it is their only their third time to get past the second round in fourteen NCAA appearances. Uh, they did go to the Elite Eight a couple of years ago. They ended up losing to Baylor, who won the championship that year. Uh, but this is an Iowa team that has not had a lot of success in the tournament, so. Uh, this will be interesting, you know, and everybody is comparing whether Clark or Beckers is better. Um, you know, here's the thing to keep in mind with this. And this is nothing to take away from Caitlin Clark. She's a great player. But UConn's roster top to bottom is much more talented than Iowa's. So Beckers doesn't have to do a lot. Look what happened early in the season when they had some injuries and they were kind of searching for the proper rotation. And Gito Ariama said to Paige, Hey, I want you to be more selfish. I want you to shoot. She had three straight 30-point games. Caitlin Clark's on a team that doesn't have that kind of talent. For Iowa to go 20-9 and nine this year, they need Caitlin Clark to do what she did. I think she ended up averaging almost 27 points a game this year. Well, if, if, if she doesn't do that, Iowa's not 20-9. and nine. UConn can win with Paige Becker scoring 15 a game. Now, she scored, what, 19 and a half or almost 20 this year. But they can win games without Paige Beckers going off for 30. I'm not sure, you know, how successful Iowa would be without Caitlin Clark shouldering the bulk of that offense. I mean, look what happened to UConn last night in that Syracuse game. They had four players in double figures. You know, uh, 16 assists on 27 baskets last night, over half their baskets. I mean, they, you know, they, they – have a lot of different players that can chip in. They got nine points from Aubrey Griffin off the bench last night. By the way, she looked really good. Played 12 minutes, nine points. Uh, I still think, you know, she needs to get more minutes, but that's one of the problems that Gino has is that he's got so many players, it's hard 
for them to get a lot of minutes. So uh, great performance by UConn last night. So it'll be fascinating to watch that Iowa game. I believe it is going to be on Sunday. And considering the matchup of the two freshmen, I would be willing to bet you it'll be a 9 o'clock start on ESPN on Sunday night. Just what we need, right? Night On a work night, a 9 o'clock UConn game. I, I would be willing to bet that's what will happen. That's going to be – that's kind of the primetime game of the weekend, and they're going to want to draw the biggest audience that they can. So I would think that will be 9 o'clock on Sunday night. So uh, prepare for a late Sunday night before your Monday workday starts. Uh, there were some up, upsets in the NCAA tournament. I know on Monday I said, ah, you know, you're not going to see in the women's tournament what you see in the men's. Well, we saw a little bit of it. We didn't see, not to the extent we saw in the men's tournament, but there were some big upsets yesterday. Number 11, BYU, uh, beat six-seeded Rutgers yesterday, 69-66. Then a number 13 seed, Wright State, knocked out number four, Arkansas, 66-62. And if you remember, Arkansas is a team that handed UConn its only loss of the season, and they really took it to UConn. I, I thought they were a very impressive team. So Wright State took them down. And then Belmont, a number 12 seed out of the Ohio Valley Conference, beat fifth-seeded Gonzaga 64-59. to So three big upsets yesterday, three double-digit seeds, uh, with victories in the NCAA tournament. That is, you know, it's almost unheard of in one day to get that many big upsets in the women's tournament. You don't see that very often. Uh, so BYU is a team, by the way, that barely got into the conference. They lost in their conference tournament to Gonzaga on a last-second shot. They were one of the last teams selected. Um, so, you know, they were probably lucky to be there, and now they turn around and knock off Rutgers, and you know, and let's not forget Rutgers uh, coach Vivian Stringer is in the Hall of Fame. You know, she's led them to the NCAA tournament, you know, seventeen or eighteen times in the last twenty-five years. You know, this is a that's a storied coach, a storied franchise in in women's basketball, and so that was an absolute stunner as well. So, congratulations to those those teams, and uh, let the March Madness continue. I mean, it's been fun. Uh, it looked like for a while yesterday, North Carolina state was going to have a problem. South Florida, uh, was giving them everything that they could handle. Matter of fact, uh, South Florida led by a point in the third quarter, early in the third quarter. And then NC state with a couple of, uh, uh, big runs in the third quarter ended up with a 12 point lead, uh, going into the fourth and it was all over, but, uh, a heck of an effort yesterday by eight seeded South Florida. So number one, South Carolina state, uh, survives, uh, Georgia, uh, excuse me, uh, Michigan with an easy win, 70 to 55. They beat third seeded Tennessee. You know, it's an upset, but not that big an upset. Uh, Michigan, a sixth seed, Tennessee, a third seed. Tennessee has not gotten to uh, very deep in this tournament for quite some time. Uh, I want to say I saw it yesterday. They haven't gotten to the Sweet 16. I want to say last eight, 10 years. I mean, and this is a program that was perennially there. Um, I saw it yesterday. I can't remember. I think it was, it was, I want to, maybe it was 2015. So it might've been, maybe it's only been six years, but it's been a while since Tennessee has been able to advance. And, you know, they played well this year. You had, you thought they had a chance, but Michigan, the number six seed knocks them off yesterday. Matter of fact, uh, Tennessee uh, made this closer than the final score would indicate. They were down, you know, hell, 18 points, I think, in the early in the in the fourth quarter. 
you know, they, they had to work like hell. They, they cut it to, uh, I think, seven. And then uh, Michigan pulled away at the end. So that's where we're at as far as the women's basketball tournament goes. Uh, some good action yesterday. And Gino Ariema can't wait to get back to San Antonio. Great story yesterday in the Hartford Current just talking about how he, he said he was howling at the moon sitting in his living room watching the game on television. I can only imagine uh, what a wild man he was. Uh, by the way, uh, yesterday was uh, Gino Ariema's birthday. And it turned 67 years old, so uh, his birthday present was being able to get on an airplane and uh, get to San Antonio today. Uh, other news out of UConn, Brendan Adams, uh, junior guard, is going to transfer. Now, um, Adams was one of the first recruits that Danny Hurley brought to UConn a kid that he had actually recruited to go to URI, and then when he came to UConn, Adams followed him there. Um, Adams is actually graduating from UConn. He earned his degree in economics in three years. So good for him. So he's got two years of eligibility left uh, as a grad student. And why does he have two years left? Because of the extra year that they have been given this year isn't going to count. Uh, you know, technically, all the guys that were seniors on the UConn team this year because of the coronavirus, uh, the NCAA granted everybody an extra year of eligibility. So technically, guys like uh, Isaiah Whaley could come back. I don't, you know, they're not going to. Um, but uh, Brendan Adams is going to uh, transfer. Um, and, and, you know, I'm sure he was a little bit frustrated. He got a lot more time when James Booknight uh, was injured. Adams actually started six games, but once Book Knight came back, Adams was on the bench and barely played. Uh, he ended up getting in 17 of the games this year, but he only averaged four and a half points and you know two and a half rebounds. Just didn't get a lot of minutes, and I'm sure he was a little bit frustrated over that. Um, and and you know, interestingly too, this is a a guy that they could maybe use next year. You know, they've, UConn is really going to be looking for some outside shooting with Booknight guaranteed to go to the NBA, a couple of guys graduating. You know, all of a sudden, their outside shooting seems a little bit thin, and now Danny Hurley is going to find himself with three scholarships open for this coming year. Three of them. Uh, and you're not going to find blue-chip recruits to come in for, for, for as a freshman in September this late in the year. Uh, so that means that uh, you can probably look for UConn to start uh, searching the transfer protocol uh, or the transfer portal, I should say, to try to find uh, some players looking to transfer and maybe come to UConn for a year. You know, there's a lot of guys that would be graduate students uh, that are only looking for one year. And uh, with three open scholarships, I would bet that is uh, what will happen. Um so I want to uh, I want to get into a second here. I saw a story this morning in the Boston Globe that absolutely floored me. And if I hadn't read it, I honestly would not have believed it. A high school in the Boston area in Duxbury. They're playing fall or spring football. They had their first game on uh, March 19th. And reportedly, and I actually I don't even think this is, it's not even up for debate. Some of their checkoff uh, signals at the line of scrimmage involved anti-Semitic and Holocaust-related terms. You know, when you remember like in the NFL, 
you know, you'll uh, you see the guys uh, come up to the line of scrimmage and they, you know, and, and the quarterback will look around and he'll look at the defense and decide if they need to make some possible changes to the formation or to the play call or whatever. You know, you see uh, Tom Brady used says Oklahoma or you used to remember you used to hear, hear uh, uh, Peyton Manning yell out to Omaha, uh, you know, well, in Duxbury, their calls at the line of scrimmage, and I'm not making this up, folks, Auschwitz. Auschwitz, rabbi, dreidel, they were all Jewish terms. Auschwitz? Who in the hell uses Auschwitz as a play call? So, uh, needless to say, once word of this got out, uh, there are calls for the removal of the head football coach. Uh, Dave, uh, Mamarin, I believe his name is, um, he was not on the sideline for their game on the 19th. Uh, and he has been, uh, essentially suspended, uh, while the investigation is going on. And actually I, I was wrong. The, the game, the, that game where the anti-Semitic play calls came out was, uh, on the 12th of March. Their game on the 19th, the coach was not on the sideline because he's, you know, and, and he's issued a statement, so he's not even denying it. He says, I extend my apology for the insensitive, crass, uh, and inappropriate language used in the game on March 12th. Uh, okay, that's fine, but here's the deal. It wasn't like the players came up with this that day, you know, and I get, you know, kids can be jerks. You know, kids don't think about the consequences of their actions or the words that they're saying. But there is no way on God's green earth that those audible calls appeared for the first time in that game on March 12th. You know damn well they were used in practice so that everybody knew what those particular play calls meant. So how in the hell... Could any adult think this is a good idea? I mean, they have got to fire this guy. They have to. You know, with everything going on in this country, with the violence now against Asian Americans, thanks to Donald Trump and, you know, the, the constant talk of the China virus and all this other stuff, all of a sudden we have anti Asian violence at an all-time high in this country. With the Black Lives Matter movement, with the violence that we have, you know, uh, domestic abuse with, of women, all this stuff going on in this country, all the divisiveness that we have in this country, in the Northeast, this is, and by the way, you know, this isn't the Deep South. This wasn't Donald Trump territory. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying I excuse this, but if this was, if somebody told me this happened in, I, I, Louisiana, Mississippi, where it's all Donald Trump land and there's a lot of uh, bigotry down there, it wouldn't surprise me so much. This is in the Northeast. This is in the Boston area in Duxbury. This is a veteran coach on this team. This isn't some young 25-year-old coach. 
you know, what the hell is going on? Now, now, supposedly, you know, there has been a few incidents over the years of some anti-Semitism in the Duxbury area, but even the Anti-Defamation League says, you know, it's few and far between. But this is a guy that has been coaching that team for 16 years. His team has won 12 consecutive league titles. This is a guy that has been very successful. And by the way, a guy that's got, uh, you know, uh, a master's degree in special education. You know, this is a guy that is a teacher in that school. And by the way, they have a union, so anything that goes on, the union's going to get involved in. But how can any right-thinking person think that this guy should keep his job? Absolute insanity. In the Boston, Massachusetts area. It's sickening. Look, you know, we have a problem in this country with divisiveness, not just politically, but racially, uh, religiously. You know, there is nothing in this country, it seems, where there is not a great divide. For what I, And we can't blame it all on Donald Trump. There is no question that he threw gasoline on the fire but what is going on in this country was smoldering before Donald Trump became president. And I don't know what the answer is, but Jesus, we're, we're looking, you know, that we are, we hate everybody for everything. We can't find two people to agree on anything. I mean, I, I don't, I, I fear for where this country, and not just this country, it's all over the world, where we're going. What happened to civility in the world? And you know, it's funny. Some big thing will happen and everybody will get together and hold hands and, and, and everybody, and you, and you kind of go, well, you know, kind of restore your faith a little bit and maybe things are going to be okay. And then two days later, here we go again. Something new happens. Mass shooting, you know, we got the, the shooting in, in Boulder the other day. Ten people killed because a guy walked into a grocery store and just f- started firing it up. I, I just, you know, but it's not, it's not, I'm not even talking about gun violence. I'm just talking about simple things like I hate Jews. I hate blacks. I hate women. I hate everybody. I hate Catholics. I hate everybody. That's what's going on. So I worry. I worry. You know, and uh, and the and and the fact that that happened in the Northeast, not even somewhere where you know, uh, where there where it's it's Donald Trump country. So you, we can't blame this on Donald Trump, ladies and gentlemen. You cannot. I mean, I know that's a convenient thing to do, to say it's Trump's fault, but anti-Semitism is everywhere. You know, and. You know, we all make jokes. Everybody's made jokes in their lives. And and if you tell me that you haven't, you're full of it. How many people in the world have said, you know, have made comments about uh, Jewish people and, and uh, uh, with money and how cheap they are and this and that and every? How many people, if you tell me that you haven't, 
You're full of it. Well, at the end of the day, even those jokes, and we have all been guilty of them at some point in our lives, that's anti-Semitism. You know, it's not calling them a, a, a nasty name, but it's no different than, you know, calling Irish people drunks, right? Everybody just assumes, well, you're Irish. Oh, you're a drunk. You know, I mean, uh, that's, that's what, that's what we're, we're dealing with here. And it's getting worse. In 2021, you would think that this kind of, we should be behind a lot of this stuff and it continues to get worse. And I don't know what the answer is, but I know what one answer is. That head football coach at Duxbury's got to go. And he's got to go now. And, I mean, and let it serve as a warning to every football, basketball, baseball, any coach in the country. You have got to get a rein on this stuff. And you have got to be a leader for these young people. And if we continue to allow this kind of behavior, we are doomed. You know that old, the, the old doomsday thing of we're going to blow ourselves up with nuclear weapons? You know what? It may not be nuclear weapons that ruins this world. It may be violence. It may be, you know, we're just going to kill each other. We're just going to we're just going to be just bloodbaths in the streets and it's going to be like, you know, escape from New York, you know, and and we're going to have walled cities and we're going to have gangs and everybody's going to be killing everybody. That's what we're going how we're going to kill this country or this world. Not, maybe it isn't going to be the big nuclear holocaust everybody thinks. Maybe it's just going to be everybody's just going to die because uh, we don't like you. You have the wrong color skin. And that's how we're going to destroy this world. But it's uh, the guy, the head football coach at Duxbury, has got to go. 32 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 34 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Wednesday morning. I just... Uh, just got a message from uh, Dan Zampano, <laughs> our NFL correspondent, and he uh, thanked me for the pleasant monologue this morning. I, look, I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> it is it is what it is, uh, and it's disturbing. There's no question it's disturbing. And let's, let, let, while we're on a roll, let's, let's continue along that line. Uh, let's talk about Deshaun Watson, the Houston Texans quarterback, who has now been accused – by 16 different women of sexual assault and harassment. 16 of them. Now, I am going to come right out and tell you, and, and I am not one of these where we have to blame the accuser, okay? But to tell, I am telling you that there is something about this that does not smell right. Why? Here's the reasons. Number one, all 16 women are being represented by the same attorney, a guy by the name of Tony Busby. Okay. All of them. Um, they are not seeking, they are seeking monetary damages of about $500 a piece, which is the minimum amount that they can sue for, uh, in civil district court. So they're not going after him for all kinds of money. Uh, they say this is about justice, but 16 different women and not one of them is going after Watson for a, uh, a ton of cash or uh, uh, going to the cops. This is the part I don't understand. Why aren't the police involved in this? 
This is all being done civilly, not in criminal court. Why? Because the burden of proof in civil court is far less than it is in criminal court. In criminal court, it has to be beyond a reasonable doubt. In civil court, you just have to show that it's plausible. Um, we talked about this when Dan was on last week and, and, you know, isn't it kind of strange with the whole, the trade talk, uh, you know, in Houston with Deshaun Watson. And then all of a sudden this comes out and first it was one woman and then it was six or seven women. And now it's 16. Now, Rusty Harden, who is the attorney for Deshaun Watson, came out with a statement yesterday and said that, look, we have evidence that one of the women, at least one of the women who filed one of the lawsuits is lying because they have proof, supposedly, they have an affidavit that Deshaun Watson's business manager actually spoke with this woman and that she tried to shake them down for 30 grand said, you give me 30 grand and I will maintain indefinite silence about a consensual encounter that she had with Watson. So supposedly it was some kind of, you know, that she was a masseuse and there was some kind of consensual sexual thing that went on between them. And then after it was over, she tried to shake down Deshaun Watson for 30 grand. So that's just, that's extortion. Number one. Uh, so now that then, and, and look, I'm not saying the women that something didn't happen. And I'm not saying that Deshaun Watson is completely innocent here, but if they've got proof of at least this one woman trying to shake them down, Unfortunately for these other women, even if something's legitimate, it then is going to call that into question. Is it legitimate? Especially since all 16 of these women are represented by the same attorney. So, you know, two more, two more of them were filed yesterday. Seven were filed on Monday and the other ones were filed last week. And so all it's like they're piling on. Supposedly, this all dated back to March of 2020, which I guess is that's just about when the pandemic started, right? You know, now they're all, you know, there's uh, varying things in these complaints. And, you know, most of them were, you know, talking about that, that he was, you know, forcing them to do things and, you know, waving his private parts in their faces or rubbing it on them. And, I, you know, I, you know, but then you have. Uh, at least one other person that he's that worked as a masseuse for him who said that the entire time he was nothing but a gentleman. There was never anything sexual. There was, she said the guy never even got aroused. She said, and you know, he said, she said we had great conversation. So, uh, you know, I don't know. All I know is, is that it is a mess. The NFL is now involved. But here's who's not involved, and this is the part that, that really makes me wonder what's going on. The Houston police and the DA's office aren't involved. 
This is all civil court. There's no criminal case here, at least not yet. Now, maybe with the publicity that this is getting, maybe the Houston Police Department and the DA's office is going to have to step in and do an investigation on their own. But as of right now, this is he said, she said, or or they said, because there's 16 of them. But why would all 16 women be represented by the same attorney? It just, it, it's just strange. So, you know, I don't know what happens here, but I know this. When the NFL gets involved, it's never going to be a good thing for Deshaun Watson. Unless these women suddenly change their minds and come out and say, nah, it didn't happen. We were just, you know, trying to trying to, to get some money. And, and it doesn't sound like that's the case since they're only suing for 500 bucks. Um, if nothing else, the NFL is probably going to suspend the guy just because. Just because it doesn't look good. Just to send a message. Whether it's right or wrong. But I don't know if we'll ever get to the bottom of this because Deshaun Watson and his attorney are absolutely adamant that none of this ever happened. 16 different women. I mean, that would make this guy a serial predator. So stay tuned. But man, it just it, one thing after another after another for Deshaun Watson. And this is a guy that is, uh, you know, trying to force the Houston Texans to trade him. And if you're the Houston Texans, probably after all this comes out, if you weren't liable to want to trade him before, you probably are now. But now every team in the NFL is going to be going, this guy's kryptonite. We can't touch him. You know, so <laughs> the cynic in me would say somebody, you know, but it, it, I, the cynic in me would say there's something fishy going on here. But then the realist in me says, yeah, but it's 16 women. Right? You know, if it was one or two women trying to, you know, and and, and they were trying to concoct something, maybe. But 16? That's a lot of people that got to be lying. So you so you wonder what's going on here. It can't, and by the way, they can't all, you know, they, they say they have evidence that this one of them was consensual and that she tried to shake them down afterwards. And I can look, I can see that, but you're telling me that that happened with 15 other women. Sounds fishy. I, I don't know. I, I don't know, but boy, what a mess. What a mess. Uh, we're going to take another break in a minute. Uh, before we do uh, word has come down, the Charlotte Hornets are going to allow 5,000 fans at their home games beginning on Friday. Uh, that'll be about 25% of the capacity of the Spectrum Center. They've been allowing 3,000 uh, up until recently, so they are going to up that to 5,000. Um, and that's, you know, look, the, the governor of North Carolina has said that uh, sports venues can have 50% capacity, but you still have to follow the social distancing guidelines so that the Hornets, the, the best that they can do is 5,000 fans and still comply with the social distancing issue. Uh, and this is, by the way, you know, this is on the heels of the numbers going up in the country again. You know, I know the vaccines are up and they said, what, 30, at least 30 million people have gotten the first dose, which by the way is like 10% of the country. We got a long way to go. Uh, 
but if 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 the numbers are going up, as I said, you know, I was talking to my wife yesterday. We we have to. We can't just you know, hey, we're getting vaccinated. Hey, let everybody take their masks off. It's a free for all. We can't do that. We have to remain vigilant about this. And it seems to me that increasing capacity to an indoor venue is not the way to go here. I have less of a problem with baseball stadiums allowing that kind of capacity than I do an indoor arena. When you're outside, the, the chance of transmission is far, far less. You know, allowing that many people into a building, you know, could be a recipe for disaster. Uh, and uh, the Preakness this year has said they are going to allow 10,000 fans at Pimlico uh, for the Preakness, which will be held on May 15th. So that's just less than two months from now. You know, now, look, two months from now, we may be in a different situation as they're, they're supposedly doing a couple of million vaccinations a day. Uh, it's supposed to be, you know, everybody's going to be eligible by May 1. You know, by May 15, maybe we're in a different place. And it's also outside. So, again, less of a problem with that. Uh, and uh, word came down yesterday, Georgia Tech has had to delay the start of spring football practice uh, because of their positive COVID test. I mean, look what happened to the Bruins, right? They ended up taking the better part of a week off. They returned to practice today and hopefully will be able to play the New York Islanders tomorrow night, uh, which is great for them. Well, then right after that, the New York, uh, the uh, Montreal Canadiens, have been told that they have to take the next week off because of positive tests. You know, we've seen it affect the men's basketball tournament. You know, we've seen it affect local high school tournaments. It's not over. Keep wearing your mask, ladies and gentlemen. 46 minutes past the hour. We're going to take another break, and then we're going to get to some baseball for the last part of the show. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the wake up call here on a Wednesday morning. Before I forget, before I get to baseball, uh, I just wanted to talk um, just for a minute. We have a uh, John Clark, um, who was one of the co-owners of WCNX Radio here in Middletown, a, a, a great friend of mine uh, who recently lost his battle to pancreatic cancer. Um, they are going to have a uh, an online uh, remembrance of John uh, on Facebook Live this Sunday. At seven o'clock, his son Brian is going to be hosting it. I'm going to be there as well. Uh, we're inviting anybody uh, that ever had any contact with John or uh, that used to love WCNX, used to love our sports broadcasts, uh, to join us. And uh, we're going to tell some, hopefully, tell some funny stories and things that we remember about John. Uh, so I hope you'll uh, you'll join us uh, Facebook Live Sunday night seven o'clock. Uh, I've got a link to it. Uh, if you're interested, you can contact me on my uh, Facebook page uh, for Sports Country uh, or uh, send me an email at gene at Sports Country IR. I'll make sure that you get the link to that. Um, and uh, John was uh, uh, was quite a character, so uh, we're going to have a thing for him on uh, on Wednesday night. Pete Mazzetti, another friend of John's, is going to be with us on the show tomorrow morning um, at 9.15 uh, to talk about the Pete Mazzetti show. Also, to remember John a little bit. Uh, so... Um, I uh, hope you can join us on Sunday for that. I actually had a talk uh, yesterday. Sal Morello, the football coach at Middletown High School, uh, used to be the football coach at Cromwell High School. Uh, we did games for years uh, when Sal was the coach. And uh, Sal did not know that John had passed away. And uh, I told him yesterday, and he was uh, very, very upset and talked about uh, what a great guy he was. And 
uh, we're going to miss him. And, and I'll tell you what, Middlesex County is going to miss what WCNX did, especially for the high school sports teams and some of these young kids. And uh, uh, so hope you can join us anyway. Sunday night, 7 o'clock on Facebook Live. All right, um, some baseball news. The entire front office of the San Diego Padres collectively threw up yesterday uh, when Fernando Tatis had to leave their spring training game after injuring his shoulder, uh, making a backhanded play in a game against the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, This is the same Fernando Tatis who just signed a 14-year, $340 million deal. It just boggles the mind even saying that. Uh, And, you know, he look, he's only 22 years old. But this is a kid that has already had some shoulder trouble. Um, They said that Tatis has had a minor shoulder issue for years and has been getting treatment for it the last couple, three years, including that he tapes it. They use like that uh, uh, kinesiology tape. They use that and they tape his shoulder for games. So uh, now it can't be that bad because, you know, the Padres would have done their due diligence in terms of his his health uh, before signing him to a $340 million deal, which, by the way, those are guaranteed in baseball. So if, if something were to happen to him tomorrow, guess what? He still gets every dollar of that contract. So you know they did their homework, so they can't be that concerned about it, uh, or about the preceding issue. But now the fact that he had to leave the game yesterday obviously uh, worries them. And this is the same, you know, and he's a guy that plays the game with the reckless abandon, uh, hurt himself earlier in spring training by diving headfirst into home plate on a fly ball uh, in a spring training game on March 13th. You know, and and they say that that slide may have actually aggravated uh, the shoulder issue, and it kept him out of a few games. So you know, you look at that and you go, uh, you know, calm down a little, son. So uh, hopefully, it's not too bad. Uh, but obviously, uh, great concern out of Padre camp. Uh, some concern out of Toronto Blue Jays camp. Kirby Yates, who they uh, the Blue Jays signed in the off season. Uh, has have, or has to have elbow surgery and is probably going to miss the entire year. And this is the same Kirby Yates who had elbow surgery to remove bone chips in his arm when he was pitching for the Padres last year. And now he's facing elbow surgery again that will knock him out for the entire year. So now, uh, and he signed a, a one-year, $5.5 million deal. So, again, guaranteed contract. He's going to get paid $5.5 million to rehab this. Uh, they originally said that it was a strained muscle in his forearm, and they thought he'd be out for several weeks. Now they're saying it's probably going to end up being surgery. So not good news for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, also not good news for the Blue Jays, George Springer's hurt. Uh, Their free agent outfielder that they signed away from the Houston Astros is going to miss a week. Uh, He strained an oblique muscle. Um, Again, not the end of the world. Those kinds of things repair themselves. But with with the start of the regular season a week away, uh, you know, perhaps George Springer will not be ready for opening day. We'll have to see. And then they announced that left-handed Robbie Ray is going to miss at least one spring training start after he slipped on a stairs case and bruised his elbow. You know, you you love those. Uh, so the Blue Jays uh, facing a myriad of problems 
with uh, the start of the regular season just a week away. Uh, the Red Sox yesterday beat the Atlanta Braves 7-6. Who cares? Uh, the more important thing yesterday was Garrett Richards went out on the mound, pitched fairly well. He pitched uh, five and two-thirds, so he went into the, uh, uh, the sixth inning, which is you love to see that. Uh, pitch count got up into the 80s. Uh, he ended up allowing four hits and three runs, but he struck out four, walked a couple of guys, but by and large, uh, they were very encouraged with his outing yesterday, so uh, you like to see that. Left the game with a 7-3 lead, and they got some runs off the bullpen to make it close. Uh, but, uh, you know, the other good thing from yesterday, J.D. Martinez with a couple of hits. Uh, got the spring training average up to 268. You know, I've talked about J.D. and, and the fact that you know, and he's a little aggravated. He says, I'm tired of being, uh, you know, judged on two months of last year when he, you know, look, he stunk. No question about it. Uh, but, you know, and I, and I was concerned about it. But here's one thing to keep in mind. J.D. Martinez has never been a guy who, who hits particularly well in spring training. Well, uh, here's an example. In 157 spring training at bat since joining the Red Sox a few years ago, he has three home runs. In 157 at-bats. Uh, you know, those are numbers you see out of a shortstop. So he's not a he, – he takes him a while to get going, so he's not a great spring training hitter. You know, the fact he hasn't hit one this spring, you know, I'm trying to, to temper my uh, my worry about that. Uh, Xander Bogarts played at shortstop again yesterday. Good sign. Uh, Kike Hernandez, three more hits yesterday. Jesus, I hope he's not leaving all his hits down in Florida. He's hitting 353 in spring training. Um, so, uh, you know, I hope he's, uh, I hope he's saving a few for the start of the regular season. Um, and for the Yankees, good news yesterday, Corey Kluber pitched into the fourth inning. He struggled in the first inning. He threw 30 pitches in the first inning where, uh, he walks, walked two batters in the first, but got out of it and ended up throwing 70 plus pitches, pitching into the fourth inning. Not ideal for the regular season, but for a guy that missed an entire year last year and is still trying to find his stride. Uh, overall, not bad. So uh, good news uh, if you're a New York Yankee fan. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. And don't forget, tomorrow also at uh, 6 o'clock, we'll have high school basketball, Cromwell and Valley Regional. The winner of that will play the winner of the uh, Morgan game. I believe I can't remember who Morgan's playing. I, it just, I think they're playing. It totally slipped my mind. But anyway, Morgan's 13-0. Uh, the number one seed, and so the winner of the Cromwell game will more than likely have to play Morgan for the Shoreline Conference Championship on the weekend, but we'll have that for you tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. We leave you this morning with some music from Delbert McClinton. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.